This is a Fubar Radio podcast. Go to fubarradio.com for more details. Fubar Radio presents. Fubar Radio presents politics on Fubar. Good afternoon and welcome to Politics on FUBAR. It's Asa Bennett here. Now, what a week it has been. It's really just uh, culminating with a drumbeat increasing as we go towards today. G20 summit, the, the, the supergroup of world leaders and the most powerful ones around, all gathering in Hamburg for a big powwow. And so you have the sort of personality clashes like you've never seen before, sort of Donald Trump on the one side from America, Vladimir Putin, the, the sort of enigmatic Russian president, who lifelong president seemingly, it seems, uh, for you know, for the other side, and you might think, hang on, given the recent uh, reports during the election campaign that actually Russia may have been having some uh, interest in Trump being elected, that it might be quite fascinating, the dynamic there, when you see uh, Trump sort of coming in to meet Putin, perhaps it'll be like he's reporting in for a job interview, a sort of a couple of months months in, seeing his boss, you might think, how see how he's doing. Nonetheless, he has to publicly, though, talk big, puff his chest up and see what he can get out of Russia in terms of, you know, sort of whether it be a Cold War, whether he instead will get to four things because he said before that you know if we can get along with with russia that's just great that's yeah that's perfect and like, at the same point for this president uh, he's someone who really loves people paying attention to him the way during the campaign he giggled with joy like a sort of like someone's tickled his tummy when putin said some nice things about him suggested that he was a strong candidate uh you know joe showed that that was a way to really cut to his ego and yet the russian inscrutability means that he you know, is an asset for them because then Trump can flail around. He's transparent as anything. You know what he wants. But Putin, far more sphinx-like in a sense. And as well as this, of course, there were all sorts of reports about Russia and uh, intervention like this, with the idea of hacking perhaps going on, um, which actually is a theme that we're going to be exploring this week, cybersecurity and hacking. Given that, after all, it is what is seemingly suggested as uh, in- inquest investigations pile on top of each other, that maybe there was sort of a special Putin-like intervention he commissioned and asked ha- people perhaps to just spam out fake news, maybe, to help his uh, his old comrade get in elected into the White House. And it's obviously not, as some people might say, hacking in, in a sense of uh, just jig- you know, jiggery-pokery with voting machines, but merely just making the sort of noises on social media uh, more helpful for Trump and his narrative. And given this, it is still funny because... Reports suggest now that Obama may not have been so vigilant uh, when he heard from his security chiefs that there may have been Russian interest in the election. And then Trump now turns around and says, well, you know, well, why did you not sort of act? You choked. You really didn't act. You just wanted, you know, crooked Hillary to win. And it just sort of shows the bizarrity of Trump's world. Now, on the one hand, he'd like people to think, that yes, there may have been some sort of hacking. It may have been Russia or sort of some other country, or as he one point said, a uh, guy, a fat guy who weighs four hundred pounds sitting on his bed at home or something. But you know, who knows? It's definitely not Russia, though. Stop talking about Russia. It's just a distraction, smokescreen, you know, sad and all that. So this is the kind of curious logic we now find ourselves in. And yet, it's not all about America. Don't worry. This show is not to be focused on American politics and all that happens. Mainly because we now find that hacking and threats to cybersecurity are a global phenomenon. Given that just. A couple of days ago, we saw the NHS attacked by ransomware in that they services, their computer systems have ground to a halt with, it seems, uh, screens popping up, demanding money sent through Bitcoin, in a sense, for it to be fully operational. And even, actually, the, you know, our own Houses of Parliament, they were afflicted by uh, hackers in that sense, too. Although not in the same sense of being held to ransom, I mean, in so, as peculiar as it might be, it seemed to be a more functional point where they couldn't 
log in from remote working or something. So they instead might have had to go into the office. Well, well hey, brilliant. But... It still meant that during the weekend they insisted that it was impossible to log in and so the, uh, the, the cogs of democracy did grind to a halt. And in the end the questions do pile on because with uh, our own sort of attacks that have happened, you know, what computer systems did we have? You might think it's easy, just update your systems and then you're protected, here we go. But actually you found that in some corners, like 90% of NHS trusts has a 15-year-old Windows operating program. Not top of the line, let's put it that way. So all sorts of fascinating questions spring forth from that. And so with cybersecurity hot on the, um, our minds, I have the pleasure also to later on be sort of debating the question of this week, which is, is Britain safe enough from hackers? We've put the question out on Twitter. The answers have been piling in. Make sure your, your voice is heard. And also, if you don't want to answer the poll, what well, by all means actually do, um, instead you can feel free to tweet at Fubar Radio or email your thoughts to politics at foobarradio.com and we'll feed this through in to the show as we go and also by the way at the end of the show we'll be having a special interview with Baroness Pauline Neville Jones who was former security minister in the David Cameron's government and former chair of the Joint Intelligence Committee basically the committee responsible for overseeing all sorts of intelligence and really making the crucial decisions so the things she has seen I, I can only imagine she probably won't say very much to them due to official secrets acts and all sorts of things on pain of death, but when you we might see nonetheless, the insights will come to the fore throughout the show. And so, after talking about this news, the latest news, uh, I have the distinct pleasure to welcome, uh, after this sort of coming up next, that we'll be reviewing the week's news with Hannah Flint, and we'll be speaking to her after this short break. Fubar Radio presents Sarah Love and My Stiggy. In this last week, we had some shocking news that a prodigy of Mob Deep, he died on the 20th of June. He was only 42 years old, man. You know, to me, they define like a whole era of hip hop. And to me, Mob Deep, really, they are the sound of New York hip hop. They became one of the most successful rap duos in hip hop, having sold over 3 million records. And I mean, what an amazing contribution they have made. So I thought it was only correct that we sent out an enormous big up, big up. to Prodigy. Every Monday, Sarah Love and my city. From 4pm, FUBAR Radio. And welcome back to Politics on FUBAR. It's Asa Bennett here and I have in the studio Hannah Flint, the journalist and writer. Welcome. Hello. Thanks now, for having me. Well, pleasure. So you've got a, a spate of stories that you've yes. been t- taking our attention. I mean, should we start maybe with the G20 first off? Sure, Just, sure. Um, because it seems very curious in that all the leaders are there, the sort of entourage are, sort of, uh, are in full, full, full aplomb. And I was amused to read at one point that apparently the uh, sort of the, the Saudi Arabian entourage, they've got sort of camels and golden escalator yeah I heard about this I sort of read this and I was like how I just don't understand how you get that through customs like a golden <laughs> escalator that sounds and sort of camel milk as well yeah. and supplies and they booked hotels out too I, I mean my word you think with the preparation that has to happen yeah. You know, Donald Trump, he's done what instead? He's um, he forgot to book. Um, he's in, Yeah, <laughs> he's the only one who hasn't managed to book a hotel room, which is kind of ironic considering his profession, original profession for his president. Mm. Um, yeah, he couldn't find a ho- hotel room in uh, Hamburg. but So he's ended up um, doing, I suppose, the political equivalent of an Airbnb. He's ended up in the uh, Hamburg Senate Guest House, mm. which is a lovely building. Here, I've got this. I'll show you there. Oh, nice building. Very swanky. Very I swanky. Mean, um, but yeah, it's kind he's of... He's not going to be sleeping on a sofa, let's no, assume that. You know, no, I mean, cr- maybe I'll have to give ratings afterwards. I wonder what they'd say. What would you get? 
I don't know. He'd, he'd be thinking that perhaps the sort of the door handles door handles way too big for my hands. <laughs> oh no! Obviously, my hands are huge. It's fine. <laughs> Loved it there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was a huge mistake uh, of him not booking hotels. Kind of sad. Yeah, no, I might say. Um, but really sad. Yeah, really, yeah. really sad. Oh my god, Donald Trump, pull it together. But you know, one day, of course, he has built so many hotels. You would think surely there must be one in Germany he can name drop and yeah. go and live in. Well, apparently, he was supposed to have the one that the Saudi Arabian uh, possibly could have. And the worst thing about it for him is that. The king isn't even coming. He's not turning up. Yes. His minister's coming instead. So uh, they've got the whole hotel oh. and he can't get one. And um, he would love to be seeing the golden escalator and the camels. I'm just waiting for him to tweet something against like Saudi Arabia or break a break up uh, 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 some sort of uh, agreement they have now because of that absolute yeah, snub. Well, these things do matter for him in his world. It is shocking. Um, <laughs> but then that said, close to home, obviously, yeah. while we're thinking more about Britain rather than sort of Hamburg, I, maybe I'm just envious about not getting to go to, to <laughs> see such a glitz and glam um, the, things aren't very well in the Labour Party right now and that's sort of Luciana Berger seems to be being accosted in Liverpool Waver Tree by her own supporters yeah it's kind of sad I mean to be honest let's take away I mean she's on maternity leave now fine um, obviously snap election wasn't the greatest time for her but take that away from her take you know she's a mother you know a woman but the fact is she's been elected she's been re-elected she increased her majority and um, for what's happening within the local party where certain positions in the executive council has been taken over by momentum um, mm. supporters for them to kind of say that she needs to get on board and she has to run by every uh, parliamentary vote decision that she wants to make by them mm. seems a bit much seems a bit unfair and actually you know there's a lot of people within local constituencies who've decided they want her to represent them they want her to be the voice not 10 council members because her majority has been increased in the yeah last i think it's five thousand. yeah um i know i've been I mean chances <laughs> to voters yes yeah. exactly and this is the, the the big thing i mean I, you know, I'm a Labour supporter. Um, mm. I, I, I'm, I was. Do you sympathise with Momentum or Luciana in this? Uh, realm, Luciana, or? for sure, because I just feel like you know, if you're elected to Parliament, you are voted, you're voted in by your constituents. And from when I've been out doing some canvassing on the Labour's doorstep, especially in um, in Doncaster, mm. um, a lot of people, a lot of Labour members aren't Corbyn fans. You know, they don't support him. They actually, some of them were said that they wouldn't vote. And I'm not saying that's everywhere. Obviously, there's been a big support, and that's great that we've got people out. But hmm. I think it, well, we are talking in Jeremy Corbyn's backyard, in yeah, Islington. Yeah, so I know, I know. Well, I think had a majority of you know forty thousand or something. Yeah, ridiculous. And I mean, yeah. look in London. You know, um, Diane Abbott increased her majority, and I mean, you know, she's had her ups and downs over the last few months. Hmm. But I think if you're, we're, what we're creating is more different, uh, more differences in the Labour Party. We're not coming together. We need to come together now because the end goal is to get Labour back into government. Mm. And if we're constantly having these infightings and having been told that you're not left enough or you're not behind Jeremy Corbyn, you're taking away actually your fundamental right to have an opinion. Mm. You know, imagine if back in the day, so, you know, during Tony's gov- Tony Blair's government, imagine they said, um, sorry, Jeremy, if you don't get involved with our policies, you're out. You're going to get done for reselection. Mm. That shouldn't happen because actually you need to remember that MPs are representative of that that area, they've worked in that area for a long time. People trust them. Obviously, the new people come in and they've, there's yes. a loss of trust. But we need to make sure that we're not going to become too, too tyrannical in the whole situation. But what, what fuels, I think, the momentum uh, of activists here is 
it's so tragic in that sense because I mean they would actually say hang on during the Tony Blair era our man Jetsa was reviled at like some weirdy beardy little so you know he'd come on and he'd get laughed at and he'd fumble around doing his own thing and then all these MPs come in you know mm. with their no confidence votes mm. and not thinking he's electable well he is yeah. electable we didn't win in the last election but we did better than people think and so they seem to be wanting some sort of revenge on some people yeah. it's, it's a bit seedy they're going for Luciana of course who's you know, a prominent Jewish MP I as well know. Oh, and, and it's kind of, it's just it's not really she kind of trolling last year I, think, I know so. and I think with this, you know I remember earlier on this year when um, was it Emma Barnett who you know called Corbyn out during an interview because yes. um, he didn't have his facts and figures and then they kind of there was a, a separate uh, Twitter account that started saying um, oh, I hear she's a Zionist I hear she's a Zionist yeah. and it's kind of what has that got to do with anything I think if anything Corbyn needs to take a bit more control of these people who are supporting him and some of them are great people you cannot mm. tar them all with the same brush and I can't tar Corbyn with that brush because I do think he has been a good MP and stood up for himself for the last however many years in politics so mm. I just hope that we can get to a point where we can take these party political differences aside to get forward and move forward like message and hopefully hopefully there isn't an election later this year because I don't think we could all handle another election mm. but next time it comes around in three years time three years four, t- four years time we have a united front that actually can get us back into but government it's so bu- it- Again, I, I struggle to understand this. Why they have to feel this way in a sense? Because they they seem to be wanting to have an oath of loyalty. Yeah, Luciana. I feel like you should and have a loyalty to the Labour Party, not an individual. Because yes. as you know, people can move move uh, different leaders. Fair enough, he won the second one against Owen Smith. Fine, but we should have loyalty to the party yeah. and also your fundamental values. I think that's the key thing about this. As long as you're doing what you said you were going to uh, go out when you became an MP, mm. what you did when the election came forward and you got voted in, that's who you're. You should show your loyalty to your constituents completely and obviously Jeremy he's, has been laudable at least saying you know I condemn hate mm. speech and uh, you know bullying in all its forms and all that sort of slight catch all terms but then I, I, you know Luciana Berger Emma Barnett as you were saying mm. it seems that, that you know, some of these very excitable momentum supporters have a problem with you know eloquent passionate women mm. they don't really do this in the same volume and intensity to men yeah know? I agree I think I think the way that um the media, the way that um, lots of men in the parties, and uh, this isn't just Labour, this is everywhere. Hmm. You know, I think there is a derision to women in politics that we need to be um, talking about, continually talking about, and actually pointing out and calling it out. And actually, you know, it's all good having women speak about it and say this is wrong, but we do need men on side to actually say this is wrong, they should not be treated this way, and we should all be given a fair voice. Uh, It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or Jewish. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, <laughs> or Muslim or anything, equality, guys. <laughs> well, all voices are welcome here, you know. Yeah. So, so thank you. That's why maybe I was just listening, you know, attentively to what you were saying. Sort I know, of, uh, I appreciate this. You know, thank at least you. I can do now. Sort of, nonetheless, if if people listening are wanting also to get involved, by all means, do uh, sort of tweet at Fubar Radio or email politics at com. And I'm afraid that's all we have time for with Hannah. But thank you so much for sharing thank the time. Thank you so much. And so, you know, have a good day. And in the meantime, uh, we'll be starting our conversation talking about hacking and cybersecurity with Paul Carden, very clever man from London South Bank University. But first, let's look to the United States and think about the really consistent lines and rhetoric we've had from President Trump. And now he's responded to cyber threats, Russia and all that, over the past 12 months. We have to get very, very tough on cyber and cyber warfare. Uh, it, is a, it is a huge problem. The security aspect of cyber is very, very tough. And maybe it's, it's hardly doable. But I will say we are not doing the job we should be doing. But that's true throughout our whole governmental society. It would be interesting to see. I, I will tell you this. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. I think you will probably be rewarded 
mightily by our press. Let's see if that happens. That'll be next. Yes, sir. Will you once and for all, yes or no, definitively say that Russia interfered in the 2016 election? I think it was Russia, and I think it could have been other people in other countries. Uh, could have been a lot of people interfered. I've said have- it very, I said it very simply. I think it could very well have been Russia, but I think it could well have been other countries, and I won't be specific. But uh, I think a lot of people interfere. I think it's been happening for a long time. It's been happening for many, many years. Now, the thing I have to mention is that Barack Obama, when he was president, found out about this in terms of if it were Russia, uh, found out about it in August. Now, the election was in November. That's a lot of time. He did nothing about it. Why did he do nothing about it? He was told it was Russia by the CIA, as I understand it. It was well reported. And he did nothing about it. They say he choked. Well, I don't think he choked. I think what happened is he thought Hillary Clinton was going to win the election. And he said, let's not do anything about it. Had he thought the other way, he would have done something about it. So, and if he thought I was going to win, he would have done plenty about it. So that's the real question is why did he do nothing from August all the way to November 8th? Why did he do nothing? I agree. I think it was Russia, but I think it was probably other people and or countries. And I see nothing wrong with that statement. Uh, Nobody really knows. Nobody really knows for sure. No one really knows for sure who did it, apparently, President Trump says. But we have someone who really knows, not who did it, I must make clear, but someone who just knows generally many things indeed about sort of hacking, cybersecurity, and all the related issues. Paul Carton, senior lecturer in computer science and informatics at the London South Bank University. Hello. Hello, Asa. Now, um, so hacking is a very sort of catch-all term. Um, Obviously, it seems to cover everything now. You can say, oh, the Russians, they glitched, they hacked the election. They, one Labour MP, Ben Bradshaw, said, it probably hacked the EU referendum. And so much more. What, what is hacking these days? Uh, well, uh, hacking varies from a, a, an isolated individual operating in the comfort of their home hmm. uh, and uh, not necessarily being a, a geek or a knowledgeable person on, uh, a totally knowledgeable person on IT, uh, who downloads um, exploits and uh, tools that allow them to attack other systems. That's one end of the scale. Hmm. And then you can have organized uh, groups such as crime, uh, criminal gangs, or even state-sponsored groups that can uh, launch uh, highly sophisticated distributed attacks Hmm. using lots of other systems to uh, coordinate that. So they can bring down systems. uh, They can exploit vulnerabilities into um, any machine that's on the Internet. So how do you hack an election? Uh, Well... Not a point-by-point guide. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, uh, you can, uh, if you can get access to whatever uh, systems are um, being used for, uh, say, for example, online voting, or Hmm. uh, you can attack, um, uh, bring down uh, positive uh, sites that are pro a particular party or individual that you want to um, attack and bring down. Uh, You can also uh, uh, link up with... um, you can use bots and um, basically machines that will do the work for you rather than relying on an individual to be sitting there doing the attacking mm. uh, and automated and the power of computers comes into play uh, and you can uh, get a so lot sort of, out of denial of, of service style yes, things. Yeah, yes. I mean, because then just to establish uh, as well, because uh, some corners of Twitter would probably have you think this is possible. I mean, is it possible then to sort of hack a voting machine? 
Um, if uh, if that machine because uh, Americans, I think they they use voting machines. Yeah. Yeah. If the, if that if that voting machine is using a standard piece of software, then it will have uh, most likely vulnerabilities. Uh, and once you get in your information gathering, uh, uh, get get uh, sufficient uh, information to give you uh, access to that, such as its IP address hmm. or what software it's running. Uh, then uh, you, you can um, uh, exploit that. There are various what we call attack surfaces, which is weaknesses in the chain of command to do with, say, that election system. Uh, that can be uh, something as innocent as a person's LinkedIn profile, where they talk about, for example, what machines they manage, and that can reveal information for the hacker. Hmm. Uh, you can search servers that are out there looking for particular types of file, and they can reveal passwords. And even if you get an encrypted password, there are websites out there that allow you to decrypt those passwords in seconds. Hmm. Uh, so th th there is a... a um, I mean, because from speaking from personal experience, I had a... Um, uh, an account with a sort of let's, let's call it a popular ride sharing app and, mm. and it was very spooky the other, a couple of months ago because it started, my phone suddenly blinked into life and it said like, you know, you've got a cab coming oh it's in Australia and I was thinking oh my days why is it I'm not in Australia what the heck's wrong with you sort of thing and it emerged obviously clearly I, I googled my details and you know and obviously the, the company recommended I change my account details naturally mm -hmm. I did um, and now I found uh, my my details on some dark corner of you know .ru Russian forum alongside about three hundred addresses, um, you know of all sorts of other people, and it was just shocking. And I was thinking, how on earth? It seems so easy. Yes, people it, keep it, doing it. It is quite. There, there are some shocking. Uh, I recently became GCHQ uh, certified, and part of it was the information gathering process, hmm. and it was an eye opener. Uh, for example, uh, the other night. Uh, not doing anything illegal. I, I was using publicly available systems to see what a particular person uh, was looking at on their set-top box. Uh, that information might seem trivial, but a social engineer will look for something to uh, extract from that. Hmm. Uh, backups of people's WhatsApp photographs, webcams. Uh, How on earth did you do that? Uh, there, there is a, a form of uh, ex uh, information gathering called Google hacking, uh, and this can give you this information. Um, there was a website in America. I doubt I was able to view a backup of their database, uh, which revealed administration passwords, uh, users' accounts, mm. uh, and, and there are tools such as Multigo, which allow you to transform a Facebook ID into lots of other information, say, mm. what Facebook quotes did they like, uh, or what, Twitter, what tweets did they like, uh, what what if they what are they a member of email mm. addresses etc and it's in seconds you know I mean, uh, that's stunning because and if I could maybe explore for the final question just because it, it does seem a sort of crushing inevitability that you know the NHS gets hacked Parliament gets hit you know name anywhere the popular brands M and S I think had loads of passwords you mm -hmm. know sort of leaked somewhere. Is it ever? Uh, we're in a race, clearly, yes. against hackers. They try and develop, you know, sort of. We, we have portholes, like holes in the Death Star. Practically, mm. they sweep their X-wing in and they infiltrate. Will we ever plug these holes? Will we ever feel safe from hackers? Uh, we will never be 100% safe because there's a race with hardware and software, constantly trying to catch up with each other. There are uh, companies trying to get new technologies out, and that inevitably leads to corner cutting. Uh, there, there are, uh, as well, I've mentioned online systems, uh, ways of attack. There's also physical attack. I mean, to you, that might look like a USB hmm. stick that I'm holding in my hand, uh, but it is actually uh, equivalent to a keyboard that can type 1,000 words a minute. Hmm. Uh, so if you leave the room for two minutes, 
I plugged I'm that into this room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just, yeah. And you and, and I plug this into your uh, USB port. Mm. Uh, I, I can have it exploited and uh, compromised without you having any idea. Yeah. Uh, so in that's, sense th that's what we're up against. We're up against uh, multiple attack vectors, multiple attack attack surfaces where people will. Uh, uh, so you have to think like a, a hacker to protect your company, to protect mm. yourself. Uh, uh, even on the way here, I saw uh, a gap in the tube advertising, and I thought, ah, oh, I could easily put a fake website up there and mm. anybody who gets on this tube that's the, that's the way a hacker uh, thinks they think what's my opportunity here i mean because listening to this as well i mean uh, some listeners may well they they may be ha amateur hackers in the in the audience uh but equally some of them may just think oh my gosh i can you know i'm still a bit spooked by blu-ray or sort of yes. something so what besides the obvious tips of making sure your password isn't password and i'm sorry if people that have that yeah. i mean to change it right now and uh, making sure it's a bit more complex password not going on to sort of dodgy mcdodge website.com mm. instead of checking it's a yes, real website yes. is there anything else you need to be aware of finally yes uh, i think if listeners uh, if they have not changed their at home for example their router password then they should do so immediately because there is a, a website called routerpasswords.com which gives an attacker your default uh, username and password. Mm. Uh, I'd also say if you're going to public Wi-Fi, which is, which can be quite dangerous, make sure you don't do anything uh, confidential or uh, you know make sure it's a secure website. Use a VPN. There's plenty of material online about how to get a VPN that will mm. protect you, encrypt your any passwords and usernames that you are sending. But ultimately, think like uh, an evil hacker, and uh, that will be half the battle. I'm sure listeners <laughs> will enjoy that thought experiment. Thank <laughs> okay. you very much, Paul, for your time. Thank you. Um, and so, so, coming up next is our studio debate on internet hacking, cybersecurity, and online safety. We'll be joined in the studio by Josiah Mortimer, editor of Left Foot Forward, Dr. Amir El Namrat, the cybersecurity researcher and lecturer at the University of East London, and Viv Groskop, the writer and comedian, to answer the question Is Britain safe enough from hackers? But first, let's hear from some politicians here in the UK and see how they've responded to recent cyber attacks on the NHS and Parliament itself. In May, the NHS was hit by a cyber attack believed to be launched by a group known as Lazarus. Theresa May had this to say. What is crucial in terms of cyber security is that it is this government that has actually put £2 billion into cyber security strategy, set up the National Cyber Security Centre that has been advising organisations in the public sector like the NHS, uh, but outside the public sector as well, about cyber security. Uh, and going forward, uh, we will ensure that the National Cyber Security Centre is able to continue to advise and support. When parliamentary emails were hacked last month and up to 90 email accounts compromised, the Secretary of State for International Trade, Liam Fox, said the following. It is not a surprise that such an attack would take place, uh, nor is it surprising that there would be some weaknesses because people don't take basic precautions in having a complex enough password for their computer systems. Another concern for the government is end-to-end -end encryption, as explained by the Home Secretary, Amber Rudd. We are making good progress with the companies who have put in place end-to-end -end encryption. Some of them are being more constructive than others, but we will continue to build on that. The area that I'm most concerned about is the internet companies who are continuing to publish the hate publications, the hate material that is contributing to radicalising people in this country. What we're doing is challenging the people who are developing and delivering end-to-end -end encryption to work with us so that we have a way of keeping people safe. Nobody wants 
terrorists to have a safe place to exchange information and to be able to plot their terrible atrocities. I believe we can get them to be more successful in working with us to find a way of getting some of that information. So we're continuing to build on better relationships with the internet to ask them as the experts to make those changes so that people don't get radicalised and the terrorists don't have somewhere to hide. All right, well, that's how the UK politicians think. But what about the experts? I've got plenty of them in the studio right now. Sort of Josiah Mortimer, editor of Left Foot Forward. Hello. Hi. And Dr. Amir El Namrat. Uh, also, welcome. Hi. And finally, Viv Groskop. Hello. Um, and we will be here to discuss cybersecurity. So it, it sort of seems very funny in this world that we have, you know, ministers saying, make sure you remember your passwords. And like Amber Rudd gave an interview, uh, Dr. El Namrat, on, on sort of how she wants experts with the necessary hashtag knowledge to sort of come forward and help do you think the government gets what to do to fight hackers um actually as they are trying i mean uh when they started in 2011 with the national security strategy mm. and they have uh, allocated 860 i think 8 billions to do uh, millions sorry to do so however uh, i mean this strategy ended up in 2015 and it was like a kind of um, uh, evaluation of this strategy and the government maybe have they have we could, for example, or according to the report, they have achieved almost half of their uh, goals. I mean, in order to make uh, UK resil- uh, resilient uh, and try to establish uh, a cyber, a secure cyber space for businesses. Hmm. And uh, however, as well, uh, they have uh, taken a little bit more uh, more steps further. I mean, towards uh, the public, towards wider um, public sectors, businesses, even academia. We used before, I mean, to have an, a problem. I mean, if we have a kind of research uh, to reach the police or law enforcement agencies, for example, to collaborate with them in, in some of projects, you know, but now we find them is a little bit easygoing ra- than uh, before, mm. uh, which is as as well. I mean, uh, because I think the government they reached the conclusion that they could not fight the cyber uh, attacks in their own. It has a, has to be a collaboration between, as I said, uh, industry and uh, public sectors, even uh, internationally. I mean, it's to create the sand block clusters. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. Mm. And then, um, so Josiah, do you think uh, what's your take on the on this hacking debate? Well, I think it, what's interesting is that you know it does feel like the government don't get it. I think one, one of the ways that you see that is that many public sector computers are still running on Windows XP, which uh, Microsoft ended their hmm. security support for um, many years ago. And you know, I think you, that was reflected through the the NHS attack we saw recently. Um, that came down to the government um, scrapping their deal with Microsoft and their security deal, which is 5.5 million a year amid, amid austerity. The government decided they didn't want to do that. They would leave that to, to health trusts. And of course, you know, amid a, at this time of austerity, many trusts you know, dis- dis- decided not to invest in that security. Hmm. So, you know, I think this is, this is quite uh, new terrain. But the fact that we are, you know, running on extremely outdated technology in much of our public sector is, you know, is a massive concern. So it's not just a, I mean, because ministers like Liam Fox in that clip there were just saying, oh, it's just you change your password and that'll be fine. You, the, the software, actually, the money does help with this, too. That's the silver bullet. Absolutely. I think, you know, it, it will have to increasingly be seen as as part of a, an, a you know a security strategy alongside countering terrorism. In, in some ways, this is a form of new terrorism. You know, the attack on our NHS put people's lives at risk. And although the intention wasn't explicitly political, the implications of it 
are and you know when you look at the attacks on parliament um, mm. that's extremely political uh, attack on our democracy and the implications are absolutely huge Oh, okay, because then, Viv, do, do you find it fascinating that hacking now is all so, seemingly all pervasive? Everyone's uh, been under attack lately. Well, what, what I find fascinating is how easy it is for politicians like Amber Rudd, who we just heard, to say fairly, fairly very obvious things that anybody could think of. She says, so the terrorists don't have somewhere to hide. Mm. Uh, Asa, you mentioned the expression, the necessary hashtag knowledge. I mean, these are nonsense phrases that anyone could come up with. It's the same as uh, when there was a terrorist attack Theresa May saying oh we need to get involved in whatsapp <laughs> and they just think they can drop in these phrases here and there and it's going to make them look as if they know what's going on when this is the government who as Josiah rightly says has pursued an austerity policy Asa you said money does help massive euphemism the yes. lack of money has put us at, at risk and it's that issue and also it's the government who have discredited experts where do we go with this? It's completely ridiculous. I'm doing a show at the moment called Anchor Woman, hmm. um, which is at Leicester Square Theatre and the Museum of Comedy next week. And I'm fi- it's about the news and our uh, connection to digital media. And I'm finding with audiences that people are just so frustrated because they're having so much fear pushed at them the whole time. It's very hmm. easy. Hmm. It's a very emotive subject. But what we need are people who really understand about this and are not afraid to talk about what's really going on instead of just using these buzzwords all of the time although if i can bring in something there you, you obviously point linking agreeing with josiah about austerity and you know sort of our cyber defenses but it wasn't quite the same situation in america surely and yet the democrat you know, the dnc the democratic hq that was hacked emails all over the place and WikiLeaks. then so they got hit and they, they well there's a, there's a sort of opposite problem of austerity there i'm not speaking as anyone with any uh, inside knowledge on mm. this but there is money flowing in lots of different directions that is causing that uh, if you want to look over here and look for a link uh, between here and America, then just Google Cambridge Analytica and you'll see that there's money gone into hacking, which affected the potentially affected uh, the referendum. How so? Um, you don't know the story of Cambridge Analytica? Oh, no, I'm very aware. But yeah. I'm just- well, because but hacking is very broad terms. Yeah, so well, there, but there are specific pockets that hmm. are being investigated. For example, the Observer's done a big investigation about this, been done by Carol Cadwallader, hmm. that are looking into the links um, between, say, the businessman Robert Mercer, and who's involved in US politics, and Cambridge Analytica in the UK, which these, uh, these uh, what do you call them, networks, are hmm. very Byzantine. And we don't really know yet what's gone on, and we don't have proper evidence about it. But there's more and more evidence coming out in these investigations that there has been money flowing around uh, in the background Mm. that has caused hacking to affect our democracy so that's one side of the hacking and the other side is when it's affecting things like the NHS which is where austerity does come into play Oh, yeah, go on. Just that. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think the other thing to add is that although there is, as you say, a, a lot of money flowing around, actually it takes very little, um, you know, upfront cost to, to cause a huge amount of damage. Um, you know, you can get, end up with 14-year-olds in, in Moscow uh, deciding to um, to hack, you know, NHS systems in, in Wolverhampton or somewhere. You know, they can do that from their own bedroom and you can buy packs online uh, from these dark websites where you can do that for, for very little money by the means of, you know, to buy the means of doing this. The point is, hmm. though, that they don't just decide to do it off their own bat being an enterprising 14 year old do they well at least don't tell my 13 year old that i think we'd be more than happy to try <laughs> and bring might, down I mean, the russian so. government yeah. but there are 
sinister players who we don't know enough about yet who are affecting all of this and affecting our democracy and to me it's almost a bit of a smokescreen that we're focusing on the idea of hacking and and privacy and cyber security as Mm. if it could affect us all personally when in fact we should be focusing and concentrating investigative journalism on these issues that affect our democracy, which well, are case, much more fundamental. If I could bring in Dr. Amir on this, I, I take it you must have read the sort of observers many reports about Cambridge Analytica and the sort of dark web and all the sort of nefarious, allegedly you know, things that might have been swirling around. Um, to your mind, uh, and this seems to be sort of linked to something that when people say, "Oh, you hack an election, you hack a referendum." They, they always seem to point to those reports right now as sort of how suggestions and indications and the start of a trail. I mean, do you think that this is right? Do you think this is a, that there is something odd that going on there? I mean, this is all these uh, large scales uh, hacking uh, attacks, actually. You know, this is uh, rarely that done by individuals. Hmm. And mostly, for example, if we could say, for example, organized... Foreign uh, actors, foreign uh, Foreign actors, yeah. uh, even organized uh, cr- um, crime uh, and all, for example, or at uh, state level. Hmm. However, as, as I said, I mean, some of these, for example, like the NHS attacks, I mean, it could not be done by one individual person or a, a kid, for example example, but it has done by um, uh, as I said, by a group, for example, of hackers, and uh, all the the fingerprints is uh, pointing towards uh, some of the potential suspect to do so. Mm. However, as uh, mentioned, this is for example, there is always we have to understand. For example, there is two types of attacks. For example, or the criminals or the hackers, they have a targeted targeted um, uh, victim or uh, untargeted one, mm. and like the NHS one, for example, if it was like. A untargeted um, um, organization rather than spreading and damaging all these kind of organization which have for example not up to date uh, system which is or the vulnerability which was in Microsoft hmm. uh, which again it was discovered long time ago by the American National Agency and they have developed their own uh, bespoke tools to, mm-hmm. to, to exploit this kind of vulnerabilities. But uh, because of that was leaked, for example, then afterwards that they have notified the Microsoft. Microsoft, they have patched the system and updated the system and uh, advertised that all the or announce that all the organization they have this kind of... Uh, but it's always a bit too sort of late, it seems, the, the, after and, and, the event. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. the average, to be honest with you, that's according to some surveys, the average that between that uh, cyber attacks and batching, for example, the businesses take them 298 days to act mm. on, on, on kind of, uh, let's say, vulnerabilities or, or kind of uh, this kind of uh, attacks, well, as is, I said, which is really, yeah. I mean, too long, I mean, for the cyber criminal or the hackers to do very much things uh, within a week or within a day. Hmm. And we have to remember as well, sorry, this is, I mean, that's always the hackers, or the, they have more time in hand than the cybersecurity professional themselves hmm. to protect and many factors playing roles as, for example, one of them is the, 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 the cost of securing a system and so on. Hmm. Yeah. I, so that, if I can t- actually take up the point in terms of sophistication of technology as well, I mean, then, Josiah, obviously, let, let's talk about the future of war in this case. When you're about cyber war earlier, um, mm. we as a panel, and uh, people say during the election, for example, oh, you know, what about it was all about Trident? That was apparently key to our security. You know, get the nukes and you're fine. But really, 
we, the, in one way, we're missing out the debate. The, the real frontier is, you know, British hackers, you know, versus, versus, you know, sort of the Eastern and foreign climates in a way. Because I remember reading one thing about the North Korea on pass. You know, how do we sort of uh, get get at them? How does the West get at them? And there was one theory, for example, suggesting that we could, you know, U.S. hacking could sort of disable their nuclear missiles and warheads, and so that could be sort of how these things really are done in the future, rather than bombs and all that. Absolutely. I think it, it, all, it all wraps up in each other. You know, when, when our security networks themselves are highly digital now, you know, that's, a, that's an extra opportunity for, for foreign states or, you know, even potentially terrorists to have that point of access there. And, you know, it, I think it is, a, as you say, a, a great shame that this was, this was totally not talked about during the election. We, hmm. you say, we had this, uh, you know, big, big debates about Trident and, you know, whether, it's, whether we pay 2% of GDP uh, for our military, our armed personnel or not. Actually, we are we are going to have to treat this as a prior, priority now. And, and I think the, the small upside of these recent hacks is that they didn't actually do a huge amount of damage. Um, mm. You know, the, the, when Parliament's emails were taken down, it was a couple of days. OK, they had to use their Gmail accounts. Uh, no huge damage there. The NHS attacks, actually, they found that very little was paid out from the NHS to, to these um, foreign hackers. Next time, I think there is a real concern that it could be a lot worse. As you say, it takes an incredibly long time with many of the more sophisticated hacks to, to sort out. And we really need to get preparing um, for that potential scenario now, much as we're preparing for you know, the kind of hard attacks that could come from other states. Mm. I wish they could get somebody to hack into the NHS and steal the £350 million a week. <laughs> Why can't somebody just do that? Then we can just get the money. I need to develop some hacking potential. Maybe you guys can help me after this. Oh, how long would it take you to teach me how to hack in? And maybe you shouldn't answer this. Uh, actually, here, actually, this is very easy. This is one of the, the yeah, problems we are having, actually, for example, because most of the uh, tool, hacking tools are available online for free. Uh, for example, the Great, current, you can the show current, me the website. The, the, the current okay. software was used to attack the NHS. All this one cry actually is sold for just only six pounds in the dark I've got six pounds with me let's get on the dark (laughs) web let's do this thing but I should say here sorry I mean this is uh, uh, the damage of any uh, cyber attacks is could not really uh, straight away measured, for mm. example, because you don't know the intention of the cyber security. For example, the NHS, for example, they ask just for $350 ransomware, mm. but sometimes the aim of that attack, or in many other attack- attacks, for example, try to uh, confuse the, the, the victim, but the aim actually to get their data. Imagine, for example, they have all the patients. They get the medical NHS. data and then they can uh, sell so it. They, they, yes. could, they could sell it. They could use it as well against insurance company. They could a lot of, made a lot of claims. Mm. Actually, not just the yeah, I've just realised that I would be a very bad hacker because I've just suggested hacking the wrong thing. <laughs> I, I was going to hack the NHS, but I need to hack a bank the or a source of money of or, security. Yeah, or That's the, the tax to system to draw the money. But, but out. actually, speaking of the kind of as we now seem to be discussing what, what what one would fantasy hacking practically. I mean, the fact that you seem to be very certain, um, Doctor Amir, on how where you'd go, what way, how easily you could just set yourself up as a hacker. Why are the authorities not just sitting on you know the website? Uh, and I know I'm saying like Amber Rudd when I'm saying this, you know, necessary hashtags and all. But wh- why are they not sort of, I don't know, somehow just watching who, what IP addresses go to these websites? Although, if you're saying a dark web, I guess they genuinely can't. They can't yes, just see who's yes, accessing okay. it. And as yeah. soon as you buy it, it'll yeah. go through it. And you, then you're, you're nicked as such. It's yeah. uh, not as easy. 
not it easy at all because as, as I mentioned, for example, the dark web is in its own. It is, I mean, it is designed, I mean, to to maintain anonymous for the users, for yes. example. And the way is as well that made trading, for example, with bitcoins on these things, for example, this is really difficult to trace. I mean, one of the main cases was about the ch- child uh, abuse uh, website and. Uh, uh, the only way that uh, break into the, this um, child abuse uh, rings, for example, was by setting up um, a website on the dark web, the law enforcement, and uh, use it for, for almost for three years. I mean, to gain the trust of all these bad guys, for example, to mm. try to identify their uh, real identity. And uh, as I said, this is not really something um, easy to do, but this is required, as I said, as a collaboration of everyone, not just the law enforcement uh, agencies. Uh, yeah, it I requires mean, time to infiltrate requires, these things. As I yes. said, I mean the time as, as an organization. I mean they have this what called penetration tester, hmm. and in order to invite someone, for example, if I want to go do penetration testing for the whole network, uh, that means will cost me really a fortune. That's why maybe I will choose just a, a one component of the of the, my network to to be tested and to hmm. to scan against any vulnerabilities. Wow, I well, love actually. this. I'm kind of get you to take me on the dark web. <laughs> yes, can I ask Josiah and Amir as part of your work because you work in this field every day I'm fascinated on, about your, for, by your insights Th- what you call the dark web would people who work in your field in cybersecurity, you Amir as a, as a lecturer and you Josiah as a journalist is it safe for people to go on the dark web, web and access it? I, for example, would feel very scared of doing that. So I'd feel like no. I would immediately get arrested. Absolutely. There's always a bright side of the dark web for their journalists, for example. There's many mm. other countries, for example, they are not, the, if they use the normal uh, web or the internet or the indexed oh, right. uh, website, mm. for example, they will be eerie, easy to be traced back. Yeah, But I mean, the dark web as well is actually was mainly for uh, uh, to avoid any... Uh, uh, any tracking or any things of especially uh, journalists from China or other countries. Hmm. However, as an individual, you could always uh, create an account and you could use it for uh, good, the, for the good things. I mean, not just always bad things. But you will see, for t- example, that dark web people selling drugs, they're selling weapons, they're selling, for example, even the uh, terrorist organization, they have But not everyone who uses the dark web is trying to sell drugs on it. No, no, not at all. Like as I said, yeah. I mean, this is easy. Using dark web is not illegal. Yeah. This is absolutely Absolutely fine. You could use it as long as you want if you are not trying to uh, do any, let's say, misachieved. Well, on that point, I think we might wrap up before we get sort of laptops out and start trying to learn how to learn your sort of tricks. But so thank you so much, Dr. Amir yeah. Al-Nemrat, Josiah Mortimer from Left Foot Forward and Viv Groskop. Thank you again. Um, and so finally, we'll, we can crack on with the last part of the show. And so we've got a, we've took the streets of Islington around here to find out before we go to our interview with Baroness uh, Pauline Neville-Jones um, what people thought about cybersecurity and many other issues relating to that. Uh, yes, uh, so we work for, in an IT company actually, so pretty informed on what's going on. And obviously there's always, I think, a high risk of attacks, but I think there's enough stuff going on behind the scenes with the government and security procedures so that uh, we're pretty safe. I don't know. I've not the faintest idea. No, no, I don't, but I don't know what they should do because I'm a bit uh, clueless on the technology. But I don't think they're doing enough now. Fubar Radio is proud to be an official partner of Stand and Calling 2017. This year's festival is taking place from the 27th to the 30th of July, with a lineup which includes Orbital, Clean Bandit, Slaves, Akala, Nadia Rose, as well as DJ sets from Mike Skinner and Merkel. 
Radio will be bringing the hottest stand-up talent to the brand new comedy stage, featuring James Acaster. For more information and to buy tickets, go to www.standandcalling.com and keep listening to Fubar Radio for exclusive offers and giveaways in the lead-up to this summer's big event. Fubar Radio, an official partner of Stand and Calling. Fubar Radio presents. Fubar Radio presents politics on Fubar. Welcome back to Politics on Fubar. It's Asa Bennett here, and I have the pleasure to have on the line Baroness Pauline Neville Jones, the former Security Minister, former Chair of the Joint Intelligence Committee. Hello. Hello. Now, um, thank you very much for joining us. Because uh, then, may I say, from your perspective, it must be—I don't know how you must have been feeling sort of over the last few weeks, seeing you know hacking and cybersecurity continually in the headlines. It seems you know Parliament uh, being uh, under siege practically, and the NHS attacked with ransomware. I mean, is, are, is anyone safe these days? Is anyone safe these days? Yes, I mean, if, if Parliament, you, know, you think they might be able to afford good security if they can be brought down in terms of remote working by hackers? Well, of course, the, the security of the parliamentary system, like any system, depends upon the, the discipline of its users. Hmm. Uh, my understanding um, is that uh, the reason why the, the parliamentary system was penetrated was because there were some very weak passwords being used by members of members of the system, I don't know whether they, which house they were in or whether they were staff, but certainly people linked into the system, you know, weren't doing the elementary things, which can help guarantee uh, safety for everybody. And that's the problem, is you, get, you only have to have, you know, one week, one week password, one, one uh, failure in the system, and of course it can lead to you know, the, the whole, the whole uh, network being brought down. Hmm. And so uh, one, of the, one of the features of cybersecurity is uh, the shared responsibility. Because you have to be, you know, when you, when, you, um, when you join into the network, you're responsible not only for your own security, but you actually affect and, and are part of other people's security. So a theory is, is you know, not, 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 I mean, if you, if you lock your house, you know, you're responsible for locking your house. Hmm. But actually, in the case of cyber, you know, if you don't lock your house, then it's a whole, it's a whole road. It's, it's you know, a much, much larger organization that's potentially prejudiced. Hmm. And do, do you think um, you, you worked in government, and so you'd have hmm. rubbed shoulders with these people who are trying to fend off hackers, keeping us safe? Do you feel that they understood the ch- scale of the challenge? Well, I think I think that um, those who are uh, no, uh, looking at the the threat that we face certainly do understand the extent of the challenge, uh, and they do a great deal to send out information and warnings and to share their their information about the threat. Uh, you know the threat picture. Mm. Uh, the issue is the extent to which people then actually act on that, that information that they're given. Now, I don't suppose they would say, you know, that they're perfect and they know everything that's going. Uh, but there is a gap, mm. undoubtedly, between the knowledge that that uh, we have collectively and the extent to which people actually take the precautions necessary. And that's why and they that's, keep getting That's where through. we have to fill that gap between awareness and action. But then with awareness, uh, obviously hacking is such a widely used term these days and that mm. um, it seems every event in politics now has some nefarious interference going on in the, the US presidential election. And more recently, uh, Labour MP Ben Bradshaw, I think in the chamber, he suggested that the EU referendum was quite probably hacked. Do you agree with that? Well, I don't know about the EU refer- refer- referendum. I, I mean, I just don't have... Uh, uh, any information to that effect. I mean, I don't exclude it because I don't know, but, but I don't have information on it. I think it is fairly, uh, I mean, it is actually an established fact that the, 
uh, Democratic National Committee was hacked. Hmm. Uh, the Russians deny, of course, doing it, but I think there's you know, fairly widespread questions about uh, who exactly. Yeah, so yes, that yes. They're, indeed they were they were interested in all of that. Um, well, you see, one of the one of the issues, of course, is why do people do this? Hmm. And here there was a political motivation. Some some hacks, um, like the one, for instance, that the uh, that you know, the NHS was caught up with. Um, uh, it, it does look very much as if, you know, they launched a piece of malware. They didn't realize how far it would actually spread. Um, and it was uh, financially motivated. Hmm. It turned out to be much bigger, I think, than they, they themselves realized would be the case. And it shows how easily an organization get caught, can, can get caught up in something that's not actually directed at it. Hmm. You don't necessarily these days have to be targeted in order to be a victim. Um, but uh, in the case of the Americans and the and mm. the and well, what Ben Banshaw was talking about, here is something that people call hybrid warfare. Yes. that's to say, using cyber means as actually for political purposes. And I mean, if I could that, steer us that back is, to Britain, that's when you though. get into the realm of states using cyber yes. against each other. I mean, because I, I know obviously uh, you're not you're not uh, privy to the information the American services would have, so mm. we may be having a sort of not we, we may be talking out of arm's length about the issues over there. But then, if I could bring us back to sort of Britain in one way, I remember during the referendum campaign, at least, that you were very robust in talking about the security and how uh, you know in striking down the Leave side's arguments that uh, you know that the EU was stopping Britain from. Being safe and secure against threats, be it cyber mm. or well, I stick by that. Indeed. So, mm. um, do you feel as we are negotiating our way and making our way out of the European Union, there was something that stuck in my mind, which is when Theresa May put in that letter to Donald Tusk, the sort of suggestion that uh, you know no deal might well throw up intelligence arrangements in the air. I mean, do you think that was a wise decision to mention uh, mention that? And do you agree that it would be calamitous if there was no deal for intelligence sharing and security? I think that no deal would, would harm both sides. Mm. Um, it, it does not make sense to me for the existing cooperation to be damaged in any way because the benefit is un- undoubtedly shared. Uh, we do help undoubtedly continental European security because our, our intelligence base is good and we make, it a, we make information from it available to others who are threatened. The reverse is also true. Um, you know, they, there is there is gathering in, of information in continental Europe from which we benefit, and we benefit also from the extensive police cooperation that goes on. Mm. So, uh, it's not a good idea uh, actually to to sever that or, or or to damage it. And one of the things I very much hope in the in the in these negotiations on Brexit is that we will arrive at some agreement. Uh, because a lot of these things, uh, some of them, but a lot of these things uh, don't have anything to do with EU structures. Mm. Uh, and we ought to be able to continue them, in, even in the absence of you know, not being a member of the EU. Some of them are EU-related, and we will lose ground, unfortunately, uh, as, as we leave, because we won't any longer, for instance, be able to head uh, the European Police Organization, Europol, mm. which is very valuable, and we have a Brit there in charge. And that's that's then no, that's a loss. It's a pity. But then, if you look um, at countries, we'll have, to, you know, we'll have to try and make up for it. But, but obviously, there are countries like Norway and mm. those who are sort of semi-out in EFTA, mm. EEA, mm. all sorts of uh, half-in, half-out arrangements. Yeah. Do you feel that then Britain that these existing security arrangements would be just as effective in that sense, or is it just that the only way is down? The only way is it's less effective. Well, I, I find it hard to, frankly, I find it hard to believe that you know you you are as effective outside as you would be inside. Hmm. For one thing, we won't any longer have the capacity actually influence to influence further decisions that are taken. 
um, or at least be part of uh, part of the decision making. We may be able to influence them, but we won't be actually in the end be part of the decision making machine. And we have been very powerful hmm. in the say in uh, making decisions on security in Europe. Uh, and a lot of the airline security, for instance. But there wouldn't be a divergence of aims. result of direct British action. Hmm? You, there wouldn't be a divergence of aims, surely. I mean, you both, you, the Britain and the EU27 would still be united against terror and yes. hacking. The, the principles yes, yes, apply. Yes, I'm, I'm not arguing that. I'm not yeah. arguing. I'm not arguing that would be the ca- wouldn't hmm. be the case. Hmm. What I am saying is that Britain's, Britain's comparative position hmm. in relation to the decisions that are taken and the institutional developments and, you know, what happens after we, after we leave the European Union, there we are in a less influential position and we don't have any power actually to, to join in hmm. the decisions that are actually taken, though we, I would hope we would at least be able to influence them. So it does change things. I don't think one can, one can you know, deny that. Hmm. What I hope is we can set up structures of a kind where consultation is sufficient, that uh, our, our ability to at least influence hmm. the decisions that are taken is, is, is real. Uh, and forms part of mm. the basis on which then others will then take those. Decisions. And one can assume the Prime Minister would obviously agree with you, given her days as a former Home Secretary. She would want to have, uh, and indeed she fought well alongside you. How well, her argument in, for when she was a Remainer, yes. I mean, her argument precisely was that it, it benefits Britain. Yes, and so she agrees mm. indeed. And so, with mm. this in mind, um, and you know, given how she's had to change, be very pragmatic, mm. um, because you're the only person right now in this conversation who's ever worked with her and knows what she's like in private. I mean, do you think she's got the right sort of temperament and character uh, to handle these Brexit negotiations smoothly? Well, these negotiations are going, going to be very tough, and you do need stamina. And one of the things that uh, undoubtedly um, Theresa May showed when she was Home Secretary was very considerable uh, stamina. You know, she, she's she a bloody difficult woman, as that's, that's very said. important. It's very important also that she takes the team with her. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's but a, can she be a bloody difficult woman, as Ken Clark said? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I think that on the whole, that, you know, that's that's correct. But you know, you don't get very far in life unless you're prepared to stand your ground. Well, I mean, it should uh, be interesting. To, what happens? I mean, you must have pity for the EU27 then, you know, when you let let her loose on them, you know. <laughs> I know. Oh, well, wisely, no com- no comment there. I can I can hear. So sort of, yeah, no, I think I think well, I think I think no, uh, it's going to be very important, obviously, that hmm. you know, when when the. Uh, negotiations you know, get going in in in, uh, in really solidly, and we're still mm. in, in some ways are sort of limbering up, you know, with the initial the initial bit of the agenda. But when we get into the the negotiations for trade and for for other relationships. Um, there, the, you know, the relationship between individuals really does matter. Mm. Um, I mean, I know from my negotiating days, if you can establish a relationship with somebody the other side of the table, um, you're much more likely to be able to do effective And that may be the key challenge isn't. for her, sort of being empathetic and getting on with people. And so, mm. yeah, all right. Well, in that case, thank you so much for sharing your insights and sparing the time, Baroness Paul... Uh, Paul sorry, I was about to say, Baroness Neville Jones yes, is the Pauline. correct way to say, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I hope you have a good day and thank you for your time again. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. And so that was uh, Baroness Pauline Neville-Jones, as I will correctly refer to her as. And indeed, uh, thank you very much for listening. By the way, while we've been talking, um, you've, you've been answering the poll in great numbers indeed. And so with the question being, is Britain safe enough from hackers? I can confirm that 42% of you said actually more protection is needed. 13% uh, said both my passwords are cryptic and my password is password. Well, you know, well, at least you're wisely thinking about these things. And the rest are saying, I literally have no idea. Well, I'm hopefully thinking that we've, you know, 
in, it, put in sight, that means that the number's fallen down over the course of this show. And so in the meantime, to play us out, uh, over the, I can present you the following. No better than Kraftwerk's Computer Love. Goodbye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes.